freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Here we go. Hello, everybody. It is the Brock and Salk Show, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. The Seattle Sports application on a formal Friday, plus all the podcast platforms everywhere. So if you're on a podcast, you're probably listening over the weekend, which is, I don't know, I kind of wish you had better things to do than listen over the weekend, but that's cool. Whatever floats your boat. Trying to sell people to not listen to Ranked on a weekend? Is that what I'm hearing you say? No, I mean, I'd fast forward probably to that point and just kind of dig into some good music at Ranked. And then uh, then you'll have your playlist for the rest of your time All at right. the gym. That's yeah. right. Moore and I were just talking about this as you left the sports pit. Moore was like, I think that says a lot about people that you mentioned when you go golfing. People say that they like Ranked. It does. And Moore is like, wow, I don't know if they should be saying that about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't be admitting that publicly. You like listening to a small catalog of music over and over again well. in different Golf course kind of a space. Every day. It's kind of a safe space for, <laughs> for stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple of uh, important announcements today to, to start the show. Uh, let's see. Probably three of them. The first is very silly. It is finally warm in the studio. Somebody has fixed the air conditioning, so it is no longer freezing cold in here every morning. I don't know what's happened, but it's All awesome. Right. Number two is that um, we are going to do an auction on Monday for the people in Maui and what's gone on in Lahaina, et cetera. Um, we have a new link up actually right now at MyNorthwest.com. If you go to MyNorthwest.com slash Maui Strong, you can get all the info. Or if that's uh, if it's easier and you already text the station at 866-979-3776, just text the word Maui, M-A-U-I, and you can donate that way. So a really easy, quick way to help out people who have been just absolutely devastated by the fires there. So please... Um, Give whatever you can. On Monday, uh, I have a package that we're going to auction off over the course of the show. We're going to work on some of the details today. But I've got three nights at an Airbnb condo in Kihei, just north of Kihei, between Kihei and Sugar Beach, if you know that area at all. Uh, View of the ocean, really beautiful view. It's awesome. And then we've got two round trip tickets on Alaska Airlines. Huge thank you to them. I talked to our partners over at Alaska yesterday. And as you can imagine, they were completely swamped trying to, you know, get people off the island, which has been a major, major concern. And they're doing a lot because they are, you know, one of the major carriers going nonstop, obviously, not just from Seattle, but from uh, the other parts of the mainland to the to uh, to the island. And uh, we were able to talk to our, our contact over there. And Sangeeta helped us out. That's her name. She helped us out and got us two round trip tickets, which we will auction off as a part of this. Um, We also will have a gift card um, for a restaurant over there. And I can't see it's hard because trying to, like, get stuff put into this package is challenging because there wasn't a lot of communication on the island for a while. So I've got a connection to a friend at um, the plantation course at Kapalua where they play the tournament of champions every year for the PGA tour. It's unbelievable. I mean, this course is, as you can imagine, spectacular. Oh, yeah. I love watching. I'm trying to get two free rounds put into the package. So I can't promise it yet, but uh, we will do a, a whole, a whole auction for this on Monday. 
Okay. Wow. So we'll see where that goes and uh, start thinking about it now. If you have the ability to donate and you want to listen live or be a part of this thing on Monday, please do. Uh, really would love to raise some money for people. There's food issues there right now. They're not able to get all the food they need on the island. I have a friend who was there just on vacation and they got moved to another resort and they were like, hey, cool for today. We don't have any food for you tomorrow. Like no food yeah. to get in. Yeah. So, like, that's sort of what they're dealing with on the island at the moment, and uh, would love to be able to help a little bit. So, we will do that on Monday. The third announcement I have is that I think, I think that we may be in for an unbelievable September. Hmm? I think September is going to be freaking great. Remember how awesome last year was with the Mariners winning and then the Seahawks surprising everybody by winning like they were doing it? Yeah. And all of a sudden, every single day was like, oh, my God, we have too much content. I don't even know what to do with it all. Do you remember that? Do you remember how awesome it was when you come into work or for you guys out there, if you're listening and you're like, oh, my God, there's actually two teams I want to hear about at the same time? I think we may be in for it. I got to tell you, I was freaking pumped. Watching that game last night. That is, and I, I swear to you, I never get excited watching preseason. Say, is that the first time I've ever, you've ever said this about a preseason Dude, game? Dude, preseason games stink. I am an anti-preseason guy. Not to the level of the Gras, who like outright, you know, is, like, is just derisive towards preseason. I'm not at the Gras's spot. But I'm not like a huge preseason guy in general. For whatever reason, last night got me. Just absolutely got me. We loved it. Were you feeling that way before the broadcast started? No. Okay. No, I was like, stupid preseason, whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, I was excited to just see some football, but I can't tell you I was like pumped, pumped. Yeah, well, I mean, yesterday you spent some time talking about how you think that the team might already be built to be good, and I thought maybe the expectation was what made you pumped. Yeah, a little bit. There is some of that. And, And I guess what I was trying to say yesterday is they might be better already than we think. And and I don't mean that they're, again, I don't know if they're a Super Bowl team. I don't know if they're an NFC championship kind of a team. We'll find out, and and the year is really going to dictate it. And certainly we did not find out last night. 99% of their starters didn't play a snap. So we didn't learn anything about, like, you know, some of those dudes on the team. But I, I really just came away impressed with how they played. They played hard. They played physical. I know they missed a couple of tackles early, and Pete sort of talked about them shaking the rust off. That's okay. I'm not worried about that. I thought they played hard. They played physical. They played with energy. They played like a team that expected to go out and win. And it has been five, seven years since I've seen that out of the Seahawks Mm. in preseason. Mm. It has been a while since they have had that kind of a vibe and energy to them. So this is not a specific comment about any one player. It doesn't mean that they're going to go on and have success this year, because who the heck knows? It probably means their depth is better than, you know, it's been in a long time. And you could see it all the way to the... I, I never watch the end of preseason games. Ever. I never watch it. I turn it off. Like, yeah, this is now boring. Click. <laughs> And I was watching last night right till the last snap. Like, dude, these guys are out there, like, going after each other. Big Holton Ehlers guy. I'm a big Colton Ehlers guy. Is that his first name? <laughs> Holton. Yeah, see? Holton. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so big, I screwed up his name. Uh, 
I, I, yeah, it was fun watching him. Could it also be, could it speak to some of the chemistry maybe this team has too? I think that was some of it. That was enter- That was a part of it. But honestly, the biggest reason I stuck around to the end, I had to hear what Mike Bennett was going to say next. <laughs> yeah. I am 100% so head over heels in love with Michael Bennett doing play-by-play. I love it. it he is fantastic. hysterically funny. I could not stop laughing. Throughout the game last night, he is he is one of those people who, to me, is funny when he's not trying to be funny. Like just everything out of his mouth has always made me laugh, and he would drive me crazy occasionally as a player. I didn't mind the the you know offsides and that stuff. I would like when he would fight at the ends of games when they were losing, drive me nuts. But I I can't stop laughing when he's talking mm-hmm. and when he's messing with his buddies when he's out there and Mike Rob's trying to contain him and Pete's laughing at him and Bobby's laughing like I can't stop laughing like I just find him to be outrageously funny I thought the broadcast last night I know they had some technical difficulties but other than that when the three of them were actually on I thought Kate Scott was like a great wrangler of these two I thought Michael uh, Mike Robinson was really insightful and also good-natured and funny himself. You can tell he's been doing a great job with NFL Network. And then I, I just, Mike B kills me. And by the way, he also offered a couple of like smart observations as well from the defensive side. So right, I was going to say, it wasn't just like he was out there to be a funny guy. No, no. I mean, the dude obviously knows the game and you heard it when he was on with us yesterday morning. I mean, he, he knows the game and he's got a, a nice way of explaining it. But oh my God, like everything he says cracks me up. Uh, also, shout out to our guy, KJ, at, KJ at the half. Yeah, KJ was terrible. Yeah, I was not into that. No, I'm just <laughs> KJ was great, too. Uh, Did you see the beginning shot they had of Egan, KJ, and Mike B? Yeah. So the way they had their chairs, KJ was must have been sitting like four feet back. KJ looked like their little brother. Yeah, he, they did set him back a little bit. They had him set shit. back a little bit. Well, we know e- from seeing him in person every week. Here's what That's it looked not like. Accurate. It looked like Egan was normal size. It looked like KJ was everyone's little brother in the back. And it looked like Mike B was Andre the Giant. He was like sitting <laughs> way too close to the camera with his big suit on. I was like, was oh my the, God, uh, he's gigantic. Passing Berman Kirk yes, picture. That's exactly what it is. Except it looked like Mike Bennett was all three of those guys in one. Like he looked gigantic. So anyway, I I just absolutely loved the entire game yesterday. That was the most fun preseason game that I can remember. And oh, by the way, they hit hard. Their rookies looked great. I loved watching Derek Hall. Boy, Mafe had an unbelievable best he's ever been in a game. That was phenomenal to watch. So, uh, yeah, I think um, based on what I saw last night, which means nothing. We're in for a pretty fun September, and obviously the Mariners are going to be a big part of it. We'll come right back, give you everything you need to know about the game last night and what the Mariners are up to tonight. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, clsports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yeah, it was the most fun Seahawks preseason game I've watched in years. I just loved it. Start to finish, enjoyed the broadcast. I know they had some technical difficulties, but from the booth to the guys on the field and what we saw in terms of the Seahawks, I really thought it was great. And we should probably start with the defense because they were the best part. I think they played exactly how we've wanted them to play for years. Here's a first and goal from the three, and there's a hit at the line of scrimmage. And the running back that time, Abram Smith, wasn't going anywhere. A loss of one. 
And I believe it was your linebacker, Buddy Bush, who came in and drilled it. Yeah, that was a nice play for Devin Bush, but it wasn't just him. I thought the edge guys got penetration. The corners challenged receivers and throws. It was just that kind of aggressive style of defense that felt like it had been missing for, I don't know, the last five, seven years. And I know they weren't the starters, but again, that's the style of play that I think we've all been calling for from the Seahawks defense. So great job by them. Boy, Mafe probably led the way. I thought he had a fantastic game. Offensively, Drew Locke played most of the game, went 17 of 24, 191 yards and two touchdowns. Locke out of the shotgun. Charbonnet with him in the backfield. Lock three steps, throws to the end zone, and it's caught! Touchdown, Seahawks! A flag is thrown because the receiver was interfered with, I believe. So the flag will be picked up, and the Seahawks are going to put six on the board. The 12-yard touchdown reception, Aesop Winston Jr. with the reception for the touchdown, and just like that, Seahawks are on the board. Yeah, they sure were, and he would throw another one later. Nice job. Um, and honestly, they stayed mostly healthy. Receiver uh, Kate Johnson was carted off, immobilized, and was treated uh, for a concussion later. Said to be okay. Other than that, no major injuries at all, and certainly not to any key players because most of them didn't play much of the game. So Seahawks come out relatively unscathed, which is probably the most important thing. Play the kind of football we want them to play and just generally looked like a team that knew what they were doing. I'll take it, man. That is a great, great start to this preseason. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, off day for the Mariners yesterday. Couldn't have gone better. (laughs) What a day for them. Houston loses. Toronto loses. They gain half a game on each of them. So, as you start play today, game and a half back in the wild card race, uh, dead even in the loss column with three games in hand. Dead even. So, essentially, they've caught them. So weird. Yeah, it really is. But that's exactly where we're at. Even Tampa lost yesterday. So the Mariners are only five and a half games out of the top wild card spot. So when you're sitting there just looking at the bottom wild card spot, remember what Jeff said the other day about how Tampa may not continue to play at the level they were earlier this season. They've been fading. Like there's a lot within your grasp heading forward. We also got some good news on Brian Wu, Jerry DePoto, explaining where he's at injury-wise. We know it's, it's not a particularly long-term concern. We feel like this is a, an opportunity for us to try to manage what was a little soreness coming out of his last bullpen and be a little proactive in trying to manage the, the, the inning load that he's carrying. And now just give him a couple of days down. He'll get into a throwing program, hopefully here in the next few days. And we'll know more about the the timeliness of his return. But we don't anticipate it's going to be a a long range issue. Yeah, so that's really good news. But we also found out what they're going to do if and when he returns. Our intention was after the off days to go to a six man rotation for a period of time which would help us to manage the, the innings for our young starters coming down the, you know, I, I guess coming down that last month and a half or, or so of the season. And we still would like to do that. So we'll, we'll look at what happens here over the next couple of weeks with Emerson and the rotation. And, you know, our goal was to, to manage innings for, for those last six weeks anyway. And, and that's one way we can do it. And, yeah, that's pretty darn cool. They'll get back to it tonight. An excellent Baltimore team in town for three. La Piedra, Luis Castillo taking the ball in game one against Kyle Gibson. Then we'll see Kirby and Miller in the next two. Going to be a huge crowd, I would imagine, over the weekend for Felix's 
Mariner Hall of Fame induction. That is tomorrow, but they've got events every night. So make sure you get your tickets and get down early to the ballpark. Here's the third thing you need to know. Yeah, what's going on in Maui is going to be my third thing you need to know throughout the morning. Uh, We here at the station and at Bonneville are going to take this uh, as a cause because of the connection that I know a lot of us here have, but not just in the office or in our studio or in our building, um, but uh, just people in Seattle. And, you know, I just talked to so many folks who have a connection to Hawaii and specifically to that island, mostly because people in Seattle want to get the heck out of here for a little bit of time every winter when it's dreary and cold and everything else, and it's just beautiful there. So um, we're going to be uh, doing a few things. If you would like to give, you can go to MyNorthwest.com slash Strong, or you can also text the word MAUI uh, to 866-979-3776. We're working on a little bounce back that'll give you uh, a link to help you get there. And uh, on Monday, we'll be auctioning off a really cool package, three nights in Kihei, two round-trip tickets, gift cards for local restaurants. Hopefully going to be able to add some golf to that. So uh, start preparing now. Talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. Talk to whomever you got to talk to and see if you can plan for a little uh, trip to Maui sometime next year. And we will uh, make it happen with an auction on Monday. That's everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. So, yeah, Waterview, it's a one-bedroom. Yeah. All right. I think people are going to like it. Well, I mean, I think that's pretty easy, too. And and I think the area is going to need it. I mean, not only are they going to need the, you know, we want to make sure we're donating right now and and helping them kind of get what they need to help people Mm -hmm. build, et cetera. But also, I think that the island is going to need the tourism. People are going to have to come back because a portion of it, Lahaina, is essentially not there right now. We've seen, you know, we've had some devastation in the state and we see how hard it is for that to bounce back yeah. and how, as geographically isolated as a place like hawaii is and how hard it is to get resources to very hard yeah it's yeah, yeah. money's goes a long way right now all me. right so we will uh, again you can uh, go to uh mynorthwest.com slash maui strong or text the word maui m-a-u-i two eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six we're going to be going back and forth today with a lot of football and a lot of baseball uh we had a fantastic conversation yesterday with jerry depoto as he really gave us pretty good insight into what's turned around for this team what they've done with their pitching and what comes next stick around you'll hear it on brock and sulk you're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Wow, how many games in a row can this Mariner team win? It is now at seven and nine of their last ten. They're even winning on Wednesdays, so we know everything is moving in the right direction. What a great lead-in to Jerry Depoto. Jerry, this is getting kind of boring. How many uh, how many young pitchers can you bring up that are all just good as soon as they get here? I'm not bored. I, I, I think it's uh, it's been so fun to watch, and Emerson did a great job, stayed so composed last night, I thought. And it's it's been a real tribute to our pitching programs from the minor leagues up. You know, the, uh, the recently departed Max Weiner, who will miss greatly as our minor league pitching coordinator, and Max Pierpont, and the guys that have done such a wonderful job for us in player development through the years, and just keep delivering. And, you know, we, we keep getting – Somebody in their young 20s who shows up and, and drives us even further into what is turning out to be a pretty interesting season. That's done this before? 
I mean, to Jeff Passon was on with us yesterday and said, listen, just in the last couple of years, they have drafted and developed an entire rotation with Logan and Kirby and Miller and Wu. And then we get to see finally Hancock last night. Salt throws in Williamson as well. I know he was traded. But are there other organizations that have done that around baseball over the last couple decades with an entire rotation and not just up, but performing at the level that these guys have? You know, I, I mean, we'd like to think that we've done it well, and, and I think the the results so far have been terrific for us. I think Cleveland uh, has been, you know, in that general ballpark in, in recent years. I, I could look back at guys like Shane Bieber and, you know, the recently traded Aaron Savali and Tristan McKenzie. I, I don't know if anybody's, you know, filled out a rotation, you know, five or six deep in that category, but I, it's just, you have to have depth to, to build, uh, to have winning teams. And, and the foundation that we built with our pitching was the primary focus when we started this, this roster build back in, you know, it really started in 2018. And when we started the, the, the thought process was build on a foundation of pitching. We're going to add around it. And, you know, starting pitching really has been the foundation of this team for a while. And, you know, we've, we've, we've been missing Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez and, and now Brian Wu. And, and when that happens, you have to be able to tap into your system. And, and then they've delivered every time. And we seem to not miss a beat. Is there, you know, you mentioned all the people involved in that development. Is there one phrase one key element to what they've all worked on one sort of guiding principle that has helped bring these guys up like this you know and i know it sounds a little bit cliche by this point you've been listening to it for eight years but it's dominate the zone that's what we do and when when pitchers come into our system the the challenge or the the instruction from ground level from rookie ball up is we throw strike one that's what we do. We get ahead and we work ahead and, and we attack the strike zone. And, you know, today with our minor leaguers up and down our system, we are number one in baseball and throwing strike one, you know, higher strike one or, or first strike percentage than any other organization in baseball, because that's what we focus on. And, you know, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called the Pearson effect or something like that, but the, it's, it is the notion is you, you, you track it and you will be better at it. And, we post it for the guys every day. They see it coming up through development. They take pride in it. And, you know, we win our OOs, and then we win our 1-1s. And if we do that, we're going to win the game. And I'm going to guess, Jerry, that, uh, well, kind of that old saying that winning begets winning. But in this case, it's, it's not necessarily just winning. It's pitching dominance there. That uh, the St. Louis Cardinals over the years and the decades, right, pretty renowned as well, and Atlanta through their years. But I'm going to guess these young guys, when they come up, are like, uh, yeah, this works. Like I, I, I now see all of these previous examples of the guys that you know have been in this organization ahead of me, right, and have tracked and have done this and seen the success on the field. So I'm, I'm going to guess the continuity of, of your staff and development and the success of others probably creates a pretty immediate buy-in for the young guys. Yeah, and it's a, we're starting to develop a real positive reputation around the league for what our pitching people have done, and and it's not just you know Trent and Woody in the big leagues. It's it's the analysts that surround them. It's people in our and like I said in our player development programs, and you know we've 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 tapped into something that we do well, and and then we go find pitchers who we feel like have the tools or or the the aptitude, the makeup to fit into these programs and excel and. And when they walk in the door, 
sometimes I think the response from players, you know, now we're getting a lot of, oh, I heard you guys are good at the pitching thing. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's funny, but I, at the same time, it's it's something we're pretty proud of. And, and I and I really would like to celebrate those guys for what they've done to contribute. And and it's not always as simple as, hey, throw strike one. You know, there's there's more complexity to it as we get into – you know, the, the development of each pitcher, it, that's a, both the minor and major leagues. You know, then we get into recrafting the way they use their arsenals or shaping pitches in a new and different way. And and that takes talent. That takes commitment on the part of the player. You know, it's not just as simple as, hey, throw it that way. And, you know, we combine all those things, and it's and it's worked out really well for us. Talking to Jerry DePoto, our weekly conversation here brought to you by Seattle Pump and Equipment. Jerry, you mentioned Brian Wu. Uh, what do we know as of today? Uh, we know it's it's not a particularly long-term concern. We feel like this is a, an opportunity for us to try to manage what was a little soreness coming out of his last bullpen and be a little proactive in trying to manage the, the, the inning load that he's carrying. And now just give him a couple of days down. He'll get into a throwing program, hopefully here in the next few days. And we'll know more about the, the timeliness of his return, but we don't anticipate it's going to be a, a long range issue. Uh, and obviously this would be a good problem to have and probably not one you need to deal with today, but I'll ask anyway, if Hancock continues to look great and everything else is equal, well, what do you do when he comes back? You know, I, it's funny. We were actually intending uh, at the after these off days. You know, we had an off day today. We had an off day um, on Monday, and it, our intention was after the off days to go to a six man rotation for a period of time, which would help us to manage the the innings for our young starters coming down the, you know, I, I guess coming down that last month and a half or or so of the season. And we still would like to do that. So we'll, we'll look at what happens here over the next couple of weeks with Emerson in the rotation. And, you know, our goal was to, to manage innings for, for those last six weeks anyway. And, and that's one way we can do it. And we had a, a plan laid out to, to manage it in just that way. And, and just like most plans, it got blown up when, when, Brian, we walked in and said, "Hey, I feel a little fuzzy today." <laughs> so it's, uh, but we'll we'll get back to to plan A and and do the thing that, that we had originally planned to do, provided everybody's healthy and ready to go. What do they say? How to make God laugh? Make a plan. Yeah, that's we're we're very good at making plans that don't work out quite like we thought. <laughs> It seems like that's baseball these days. Um, let's uh, just uh, the way the team is playing in general right now. I mean, obviously seven straight. What is it? Nine of 10. And I think it's 14 of 16. How, how, you know, not just how do we get here, but I want to focus for a moment on Scott's role in it as the team was not playing its best in the first three months. What, what is Scott's role in keeping them going and kind of getting them to where they are right now? You know, it, it, it's Scott's role has always been first around culture. And, you know, I, I think we came into spring training. We had very high expectations. The first half of the season, we didn't play our best baseball. We, we, round, we wound up in that win two, lose two mode for quite a while. But our culture never really changed. You know, our, our players came to work every day. They worked their tail off. We have a learning environment. And, you know, we have a young team. And I know you've heard Scott say that before, you know, through the years. It's a, we have a young team and part of having a young team is, is you teach and, and you work on, you know, developing skills and, and awareness, situational awareness. And Scott has had his foot to, to the floor on that from day one. And, and in many ways that this, I think in what has been a really good three year run, it, it, 
Scott has been at his best this year when we did have turbulence on the front end. We had a terrible month of June. And, you know, when everybody's swirling around you and it's time to get down, he, he said, there's, this is different. This team is different. We just haven't found that vibe. We haven't found that groove. And, and you know, this past road trip, when uh, the, not the fourth game trip to, to Anaheim, but the one before that, well, I was back here in Seattle, and I sent Scott a text after a game, and he said, we got that vibe back. Hmm. And, you know, that's it's a credit to him for, for believing that it was going to happen and for maintaining a real positive environment that was built around work and focus and, and not getting overly frustrated by what was a, a frustrating series of events for the first three months of the season. Well, you mentioned you mentioned vibe. I, it makes me wonder what you thought when you saw this. Straight away center. Julio gauging, looking, jumping, and he did not get it. Oh, he did get yeah, it. Did oh, he <laughs> did get it. Oh, man, you want to talk about psych. Tatis went into his home run trap routine. What was your reaction when you saw that? My, my reaction was, boy, I wonder what Logan's thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> because he got me too. I think none of us knew he had the ball. And, and you know, in, in hindsight, looking at the smile on Tatis' face, looking at the smile on Julio's face, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, what a great talent. You know, he's making – I didn't even think that was the best catch he made that night. <laughs> he had an unbelievable defensive game, and he has a flair. He's, you know, he's got a showman to him that really makes the fans a part of the game, and, and it's so much fun. It, it's, it's fun to be around. It's fun to, to, it's fun to watch our team when our team is playing with that kind of, of vibe, and, and Julio is, is oftentimes at center up. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I don't want to create a straw man and say, oh, there are people out there who were upset about it. But I walked upstairs and the salesperson here yesterday was like, hey, was that OK? I was worried the other team was going to get mad and throw at them or something like that. And certainly it didn't seem like anyone in the Padres was upset. But is that the type of thing that would have made people upset 20 years ago or was this type of thing always OK? Oh, no, that's a, that 20 years ago. Entirely different event. And. <laughs> You know, but baseball, sports in general, have changed so much over the course of the last couple of decades, and and I think in good ways. It's it's a it's it's all related to the generation that you're in, and you know, right now we're trying to to connect with a generation of fans who this is what this is what drives it, and you know, the bat flip, the the showmanship after making a catch like that. There's it's it's just a different game, you know. I, when when we were playing, it was about facial hair and the color of your shoes and how much sock you were showing. <laughs> the, the games moved on, and and you know I think in a in a good way, uh, you are allowed to flip a bat. You are allowed to show emotion on a field. You are allowed to have fun with the opponents on a given night. And it's it's funny, you know. Never I, in in my baseball life do I recall you know a hitter hitting a ball, smoking a ball, and you know, an outfielder bringing it back over the wall like Julio did or, or we've seen in years past, you know, the hitter typically looks dejected or angry <laughs> that, that, that this event just occurred. And in today's time, you know, they tip the cap, they point at them, they laugh or they smile. It's a, it's a different community of players, you know, playing a game with a different type of flair in a league 
that I think is more connected to one another than it used to be. It used to be segregated by team, and and now it is not quite that way anymore. Was it was it Bonds who picked up Ichiro when he when he stole a ball in the All Star game? You remember that? Yes, I do. And 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 it might be you know the first time that I can remember seeing yeah. it. There was a. And there might have been one, if memory serves, like Torrey Hunter in Milwaukee back in the All-Star game in 94. But that's an All-Star always, game. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, totally different, always right? refers to the All-Star game. Yeah. And, you know, never, re- you know, it was Adam Jones in the, the WBC a sure. handful of years ago. Uh, but but never in regular season games. And now it's a really common thing. And, and I think it's good. I think it's good that the players have fun with one another and, it's they're playing a game and, and they were trying to make it fun for the people who are watching. And, and if you don't have fun watching the, that moment between Julio and Tatis, you know, and watching the bewilderment on the faces of anyone who wasn't sitting in the pen, <laughs> it was, it was pretty fun. Hey, so one of the other things you can't help but notice about this team kind of post trade deadline, especially is that you've gotten a little bit more athletic. How much of that was the goal at the deadline? You know, when we made our, our deadline moves and, and I was sitting in the, in the office with Justin, with Scott, with Carson Vitale, and, and we talked about, you know, guys like Josh Rojas and Don Canzone, who came on the club, Cade Marlowe, who we had just recently called up, and, and others who have just made their debuts this year and changed the way we play. And, you know, the, the resurgence, or I guess the healthy resurgence of Dylan Moore, the things that Jose Caballero has brought to our team, you know, he, this is the team that we always envisioned having, the, that athletic team that could move the game, that could change it on the bases, that could take two bases at a time. Now, we've played excellent defense and truly excellent defense around the field. It doesn't matter the position you look at. It's a, we have been pretty awesome uh, for much of the year, but especially lately defensively. And in order to get to that team, you don't just – you know, blink or snap your fingers. It takes commitment from coaches, from Perry Hill, from Scott, and and really from a front office to go out and find players who fit that model. And 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 I think we're getting closer to the team that we always imagined we would have. That is a little bit more. You know, they're matchup capable. We have left hand bats, right hand bats, athletes who can play multiple positions, and and you know sound defense, good base running. It's it takes time, but it really is starting to come together for us, and I'm excited for it. Well, it, it's really interesting in the outfield, and obviously you've got another athletic outfielder who's on the shelf right now. Do we have any update on Jared's toe or foot? We don't. Uh, you know, he's down going through his, his workouts, his PT in Arizona and hope to get some updates. They usually come on a, on a Thursday like this. So might have one a little later this afternoon, but guys who are in multi-week uh, rehab programs, we don't get a daily uh, based on how much weight they're lifting or, or what their activity was that day, unless there's a setback. Well, so, yeah, there's another good question of, you know, what happens when, if and when he's able to return. Marlowe's been unbelievable doing, you know, stuff that he wasn't even doing in the minor leagues. You just brought in Canzone. What does your outfield look like going forward? Pretty good, I'd say. You know, <laughs> that's a, you know, I, it, that'd be a very good problem to have. And, and you know, the good thing is that, that you know, again, they're young athletic players. We are flexible. You know, every player you just mentioned has minor league options if it's necessary. And, you know, the easy answer to this in the baseball world, and this takes us full circle to where we started with, you know, with the plans that you make in baseball are easily broken. 
the odds of us all being healthy and ready to go by the time JK walks back out are pretty remote. <laughs> That's just the way baseball works and, and we'll manage it when we get there and, and we'll see what happens, but we are, we are a better team with Jared and, and I hope that, that he does make it back in time to, to help us get to where we want to go. So how does a guy like Cade Marlowe, who has always, you know, been an intriguing player, or at least has been for the last couple of years, how do his numbers, his patience, from what I've heard, the quality of his at-bats, how do they get better in the big leagues than they were in AAA? Uh, his focus is so good. And, and you know, I'll say this. We, we've talked at times uh, through the years about Tom Murphy and Tom's preparation, his focus, the intensity that he brings to the table. And, you know, Cade Marlowe has that kind of focus. He's, he's like different level focused. And it's it's really shown up. And it, and it started to show up, frankly, about two years ago. Now, Cade was a 20th round draft pick out of – University of West Georgia, not you know exactly teaming with with big names through the years, but went into our system and immediately we thought, huh, he's athletic, he he can do some things, and and then we got a load of the personality and who he is, and you know he has always managed at bats, gotten on base, he has power, he has speed, he's a good base runner, you know he can play all three outfield spots, and has done it at the minor league levels consecutive years in 21 and 22 he was the only minor leaguer across all organizations who stole 20 hit 20 bombs and drove in 100 runs so he's he wasn't an unknown to us and you know we added him to the 40 he had an oblique issue he came back and the one thing i was talking about this yesterday on a podcast the one thing that has been true of Cade in his time as a mariner is when he gets on a heater he takes it to a different level as he becomes the best player on earth for a period of time, <laughs> it seems. And, and uh, he started to heat up last month in Tacoma. And it was funny, we were sitting in a room just post draft and, and uh, you know, Andy McKay turned around and said, that's ah, happening with Kate. And I said, all right, let's get him in the big leagues <laughs> because he does, he, he takes it to a different level and focus. And, and we're in the middle of one of those heaters for him right now. And, and his at bats have been awesome. So you bring up all these pitchers that are all coming up from Arkansas. You bring up a few of your hitters who have had some success in in AAA in Tacoma. Why is it working that way? Why are all the pitchers in AA? Why are all the hitters in AAA? Mostly environmental. You know, it's a we've talked. You know, you and I have talked sometimes online, sometimes off about some of you know ballpark factors. We have a we have a particularly pitcher friendly ballpark in the big leagues. You know, we have a particularly pitcher friendly ballpark in double A, you know, and, and we have more of a neutral environment and in Tacoma, but it is a particularly offensive league around them. So, you know, we generally prefer to leave the the, the pitching prospects that we feel are in that skill set development phase of their of their minor league journey. We leave them in, in Arkansas for as long as we can because the environment allows us to test run different things like picking up a changeup, like sequencing pitches, like, you know, we call them green clouds, locations that we're trying to get the, the pitcher to, lo- to, to focus on. And, and you can do things in, in that space in Arkansas when you're playing half of your games in a pitcher-friendly environment. You know, you can do things that don't, cause for the pitcher to lose confidence along the way. And, and, you know, conversely, we send the hitters to, to Arkansas and it's a little bit more of a challenge. You know, it's a, it's, they are going to, they're going to hit a lot of really, you know, 
hard hit line drives to left center field, they get swallowed up. And, you know, as a result, when we see them doing the things that they need to do, controlling the strike zone, managing at bats, et cetera, you know, we'll move them along to AAA because they've met the challenge at the AA level. Hey, I know you got to run here in a minute. So do we. Any update on J.P. Crawford from last night? None. You know, we should know more today. He took a pretty good blow to the, to the jaw, I think it was. And, um, you know, didn't feel great. Obviously removed from the game. Was a little woozy post-game. And, you know, we'll find out today, you know, a little bit more once he checks in with the docs after he gets up and starts moving around. But um, that's, he has been – I think it's, he has been – the central driving force in the middle of our lineup and, 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 and for our team for the entirety of the season, really. So uh, hopefully if he's down, he's not down for too long because he's been incredibly important to us. And I'm basically a bad radio host. I just went 25 minutes. We didn't even talk about Cal Raleigh's home run last night because that was just magnificent. Very quickly here. How hard is it to hit a ball 450 feet to the pull side like that? At that kind of trajectory, you know, it's, it seems to be his thing. You know, it's a, he he does it, and and he and he, it's not like it's the first time we've seen it live. And it's a, he does it pretty routinely in the batting practice sessions. But you know, Cal has a hot spot, and he's got a he's got a swing that was made for you know hitting the ball off those windows on that lofty trajectory. And and uh, and he seems to have been developing a penchant for doing it in, in dramatic fashion. So uh, I, I think. Again, another player who has really started to gel over the course of these last five or six weeks. And like our team in general, even while we were struggling, everybody did the little something to keep themselves near the water level. Nobody sunk. And and now that they're all finding their groove, that we are finding our groove as a team, you know, we didn't have to climb out of this gigantic hole. All we had to do is get back above the water level and we could swim. Yeah. And and right now that's happening with each of our players. It's happening for us as a team. And and well, if you would have told me on opening day, this is where you're going to be, you know, at, at this stage in August, I'd say, huh, I'll take that. <laughs> and and if you would have told me how it was going to happen, I'd say, oh, my God, do I have to go that way? <laughs> do I have to deal with that? Yeah, I would say they're not just swimming. This is like a Michael Phelps situation over the course of the last five or six weeks. Pretty darn impressive. Jerry, thanks for doing it. Great to see a Wednesday win a couple weeks in a row. And uh, we'll talk again next Thursday. Sounds good, Mike. All right, there you go. Jerry DePoto uh, joining us for a team that right now is hitting on all cylinders. Can't wait to see. The only thing I was bummed about last night, like it was great having the Seahawks on for the first time, but just a little bummed, like, ah, kind of miss the Mariners. They're on a roll. Like, let's go. When's the next game? I was sort of hoping we get one of those days where, like, the Mariners play at four and then the Seahawks play at seven. You just roll, like, right from one into the other. So, yeah, I think September's going to be pretty fun around here. Just kind of a a gut feeling I'm getting right now this morning. What did Brock see last night? I know one guy that he absolutely loved. I'm not sure I saw it the same way. It's coming up next. Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710, clsports.com.